everyone, and welcome to the Legal Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors. I'm Jana Gardner, here as always with my colleague Dana Spears. Hello. We are back with the first part of a multi-part series of episodes for you. That's right. Over the next couple of months, we are going to be going over the newest forms release. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the new forms related to buyer representation. This has been a very hot topic on the legal hotline lately. It really has, and we have a lot to cover, so let's get right to it. All right, so let's jump right into our main topic, and the first form we're going to be discussing today is the new Buyer Representation and Broker Compensation Agreement, Form BRBC. It's a great new form, and I think a lot of people will find it very helpful. But before we get going, we should start by saying this is an optional form. You don't have to use the BRBC. It's only if you're going to have an exclusive or a non-exclusive relationship with your buyer. If you want to just go along like many do today without any kind of agreement, you you can do that. Right. Now, this form is new, but it in a sense replaces three previously existing forms. Form Mm -hmm. BRE, which was the exclusive buyer representation agreement. Form BRNE, which was the non-exclusive buyer representation agreement, and we had another form, BRNN, which was the non-exclusive, not for compensation buyer's representation agreement. Now, this new form does not have a not for compensation option, so that one's kind of just gone. But instead of having two separate buyer representation exclusive and buyer representation non-exclusive, now we have just one form, buyer representation and broker compensation, that can be used for both sets of circumstances, when you're going to be the exclusive representation for the buyer, or you just are going to be representing them and you want to have certain rights tied to the properties that you, in fact, are involved with Mm -hmm. when you are representing that buyer client. And one thing to keep in mind at the very top here in paragraph one of this form is it gives you a set number of days for the representation period. So it gives you a start date, and then it gives you a place to say ending a certain number of days later. Always make sure to fill that in. You can't have a open-ended agreement like this. For a representation agreement, you need to have a set expiration period, especially for exclusive representation agreements. Yeah. It's extremely important. So make sure you're filling in a certain number of days for your representation period there in paragraph one. Absolutely. And how many calls do we get where these forms are left blank? Not just this form, but many forms when it comes to the dates. Exactly. So important to get those dates in there, beginning yeah. and ending dates on right. any kind of um, representation forms. Yeah. Listing agreements, buyer rep agreements, you know, you're you're not going to be leaving blank the, the time periods or the, you know, property information, all right. of that. Everything basically here in sections, you know, the first couple sections, one, two, three of the form, just make sure it's getting filled out. Absolutely. So you have any problems down the road. Yes, that's so important. And so jumping a little further into the form, um, we go down to paragraph four and 4B1. What this does is the form defaults to non-exclusive representation. So that's really important. You're not going to fill out this form and automatically have an exclusive relationship with your buyer. So keep in mind, because this form has both exclusive and non-exclusive options, um, we had to have a default, and the default is non-exclusive representation. And that's paragraph 4B1. You don't check anything. You're non-exclusive. 
And that means that the broker is only entitled to be paid if the buyer purchases a property for which there was broker involvement. And of course, that begs the question, what is broker involvement? (laughs) So per the agreement, broker involvement includes one or more of the following things. Um, Buyer physically entered the property and was shown the property by the broker or broker showed the property to the buyer virtually. That's online, which I guess are these virtual programs they have now that Mm -hmm. you can actually view the property that way, which is wonderful. Or um, the broker submitted to the seller a signed written offer from the buyer to acquire or lease or exchange or even obtain an option on the property. Or the property was introduced to the buyer by the broker or one for which broker acted on buyer's behalf. And that last point is is really one to break down a little bit because the property was introduced to buyer by broker that could be interpreted a lot of ways or it could mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But what you want to keep in mind is this agreement really specifies what we mean when we say the property was introduced to buyer by the broker is not just sending the buyer a list of properties. Mm-hmm. So not just you went on you know, to your, your program and you pulled up a whole list of dozens or more properties that buyer might be interested in and you forwarded it to the buyer. That action alone is not going to be enough to keep all of those properties on that list as considered broker-involved properties. Right, because at times, lists containing numerous properties are sent to an agent's entire roster of buyers. Right, so that's a super long list. Yeah. Right, so if you are doing that, that's fine. But in order for there being considered to be broker-involvement, there also has to be documented action on the part of the broker either analyzing the property for the buyer specifically or assisting the buyer in some way in the potential purchase of the property or communicating with the seller or the seller's agent regarding the buyer potentially purchasing the property. So, you know, if you say, you know, you send list of, send a list of properties to the buyer and then you say, I'm re- you know, I have reached out to the listing agent to coordinate showings or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, take a look at, you know, this particular property, it has XYZ features you're interested in. And it has, you know, anything like that, that could be seen as sort of analyzing the property on the buyer's behalf, mm-hmm. you know, and documented. So in an email or something where you can show, look, I wasn't just forwarding you, you know, printed off auto fill search listings. I was actually taking action on the buyer's behalf with respect to these properties. Exactly. Yeah. So that's how you identify which properties had broker involvement for the default non-exclusive representation. But this form can operate as exclusive representation as well. If you were familiar with our old BRE, buyer representation exclusive agreement, then maybe that's what you're used to, which is you have an agreement with the buyer, meaning that you have the exclusive right to represent them for a set period of time. And if they purchase a property any property that fits within the description in paragraph three of this form, you know, in various areas, price ranges, things like that, it, whether or not you introduced them to it or showed it to them, if they purchase a property, you have an exclusive right to represent them and you have a right to compensation in that situation. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have that right, then there's a checkbox next to paragraph 4B2 right in the middle of the first page. Make sure that's checked and then you have that exclusive representation right. 
Exactly. And so important because, as I mentioned before, if you don't check that box, it defaults to non-exclusive representation, right. which means another broker can step in. Show and, them some other property yeah, and now properties. you're yeah. catalog. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Now, moving down to paragraph 4C, we get into cancellation of this agreement. And the paragraph allows either the buyer or the broker to cancel the agreement. Um, if you've selected a non-exclusive agreement in 4B1, the agreement's canceled upon the receipt of notice by the other party. And that's because you don't have an exclusive relationship. You know, there's nothing really stopping either party from canceling the agreement. Mm -hmm. So you can terminate it on notice. If you have selected an exclusive agreement in 4B2, you have two options. You can eliminate the paragraph altogether so that neither party has a cancellation, right? And you're agreeing from the start that neither party is going to cancel and you're going to carry out this agreement in full force until it expires or until the buyer's purchase is complete. Um, or you can agree that either party may cancel the agreement with 30 days notice. Mm -hmm. And further, that the broker will be owed compensation if buyer acquires any property for which there was broker involvement while they were working together. Mm -hmm. Now, we spoke about what broker involvement entails, so you know that, but this will only be relevant during the, uh, the representation period itself or any extension of that or a broker reserved protection period. Now, if you've worked with our listing agreement, you're pretty familiar with this. It works the same way. Basically, the broker reserved protection period is a period of time after the expiration of the BRBC that's reserved by brokers for properties for which there was broker involvement. Mm -hmm. And if the buyer purchases one of the properties for which there was broker involvement during that reserved protection period, a commission would be earned. So the protection period is reserved in 4E in the BRBC, and the agent can write in the number of calendar days they wish to reserve for the protection period. And we'll talk about this more later, but it's similar to the way it's done in our listing agreements. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought up the way this works in the listing agreement, because it really does work very similarly here. Um, and by that, I mean, when the contract is about to expire, your buyer representation agreement you have to make sure that this list of broker-involved properties is provided prior to the end of the term if it's expiring on its own. Now, if there's a cancellation, there's some different time periods to work with, and we'll talk about that in a second, in order to make sure you get the list in on time and protect your right to compensation. Mm -hmm. How do you provide this list? Well, of course, we have a form for that. Form NBIP, Notice of Broker-Involved Properties, can and I would say should be used to provide the list of these properties to buyer that had broker involvement. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I suggest using the form is it also reiterates the contractual terms that govern this protection period. So it reminds the client, you know, now that our agreement is expiring or now that we have agreed to cancel our agreement, here are my rights. And the form itself gives that information. And then it, of course, gives a place for the agent, for the broker to list either the property or all of the properties for which there was broker involvement during the representation period under the BRBC form. So again, timing-wise, if the BRBC period is expiring and it's not going to be renewed or extended, make sure for a fixed-term agreement, you want to make sure you get this list to your client prior to the expiration period so you have a right to compensation 
if the buyer ends up purchasing any of these properties that had broker involvement before the ending of what we call the protection period under the contract, do keep in mind that you need to have put in a protection period in 4E. There's no time period there automatically. Right. It's a blank. If within blank calendar days, you don't fill anything in there, it's a zero. You have no right. protection after your contract is canceled or expires. But so make sure you have some time period in there if you want to have this right. And then before the expiration, when it's not going to be renewed or extended, make sure you get that list of notice of broker-involved properties so that the buyer knows, hey, if you end up buying one of those properties during the protection period, you're still entitled to compensation. Now, the timing for getting a list of broker-involved properties to the client when there's a cancellation is a little bit different because you don't necessarily know <laughs> that's coming up. You know the right. expiration's coming, you don't know the cancellation is. So what the contract requires is that you get the list of broker-involved properties to the client within five days of the effective date of cancellation. So like Dana was discussing with cancellation just a minute ago, for a non-exclusive agreement, cancellation is effective immediately. That means as soon as one side or the other cancels, you have a five-day window to get that list of broker-involved properties to the client. For an exclusive agreement, the default is cancellation is effective upon a 30-day notice. So one side or the other gives a notice of cancellation. You have 30 days until the cancellation is effective, and you have five days beyond that to get the list of broker-involved properties. So mm -hmm. slightly different time periods, depending on your particular set of circumstances. Exactly. And it, and it's pretty straightforward, though, but just keep those deadlines in mind so that right. you can definitely have your rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah your, your res those, reservation period. Right. You miss any of those deadlines, you don't, you know, yeah. if, if you forget to put in a time period for the protection period, you waive this right. If you do put in a time period, but then you don't get the list of broker-involved properties to your clients on time, you waive you the rights. Right. So you got to have yeah. both of those parts. Exactly. All right. So that's about it for 4C. So we go to paragraph 4D1. And those of you that use the old BRE, the Buyer Representation Agreement exclusive, will recognize the language here. It basically states that any payment that the buyer's broker receives from the seller's broker or the seller is credited against the compensation that the buyer has agreed to pay. As you probably know, you must include an amount of compensation in the BRBC so that in the event of a breach by the buyer, there's an actual amount to seek in damages. And your damages can include the amount you would have received in compensation had they not breached. So it's crucial that you include compensation in the agreement. Now, the agreement between the buyer and the broker in the BRBC states that the buyer would be responsible for your compensation in the event the buyer purchases, leases, or otherwise acquires property that's identified in the BRBC based on your exclusive or non-exclusive agreement, which we discussed earlier. So, 4D1 simply indicates that if you receive payment from another party, such as offers of compensation from a broker in the MLS or from a seller directly, then that would be credited against the compensation that the buyer had agreed to pay you. Mm -hmm. um, that's in 4D1. In 4D2, it indicates similar, again, to the buyer representation exclusive agreement, where the money goes for any payments received by other parties, such as the seller's agent or the seller, that exceed the buyer's obligation to the broker. So, for example, if the buyer agrees to pay 2.5% 
and a listing agent makes an offer of compensation in the MLS to the buyer's agent for 3%, then there would be an excess of 0.5% above what the buyer agreed to pay. By default, paragraph 4D2 indicates that the excess is paid to the buyer's agent, but it does provide you with the option to credit it to the buyer or to some other party. Yeah, so you want to pay close attention to those paragraphs Mm -hmm. as well as 4D3. Right. And so now 43, this is where we're going to start talking about um, probably the the biggest change that we had to the purchase agreement. Uh, and that's maybe caused the most confusion since we released all these new revised forms a few months ago, uh, which is specifically the language in RPA, paragraph 3G3, and the associated form seller payment to buyer's broker. Because Dana just explained, you know, what happened if the BRBC compensation amount is less than the MLS offer of compensation, then you have this excess. But what happens if it's the opposite? What happens if there is no offer of compensation? If the property wasn't on the MLS, it's for sale by owner. Or you know, what happens if the offer, you know, the offer of compensation is less in the MLS than what was on this form? Well, then what you have is a situation where the buyer, just per the terms of the contract, would be required to come out of pocket to pay the balance of the commission owed to their own broker. And not all buyers are necessarily going to be able to do that. So just like a buyer can ask a seller to cover certain costs in the contract, like their closing costs, for example, they can also ask the seller to cover this cost, the cost of paying their broker's uh, commission compensation, essentially. And so this language in 4D3 here specifically authorized has the buyer authorizing, by default, there's a checkbox to say, you're not authorized. We're not going to do this. We're going to keep it out of the purchase agreement. But by default, it authorizes the buyer's agent to, when they write up the offer, utilize the language in paragraph 3G3 and, and try to get that cost allocated. Because as we know, the brokers themselves are not parties to the purchase contract, so they can't be negotiating commissions between agents in the contract. Right. But the buyer absolutely can say, hey, seller, I want you to cover this cost. Mm-hmm. And again, keep in mind that this is not about getting more money you know, for the buyer's agent on top of what this contract would entitle them to. It's really for the specific circumstance where Let's say this BRBC form says that the buyer's agent's going to earn 3%, but the MLS offer of compensation from the listing agent's only 2.5. So the buyer could potentially say, I'll just pay the the 0.5 out of my pocket, or they can, in the RPA, checkbox 3G3 and say, seller, I want you to cover specifically the difference, that 0.5% difference between what I agreed to pay and what my agent is already going to be earning via the MLS offer of compensation. And so this paragraph allows an agent to make sure that's all addressed in the purchase agreement to try to make sure the buyer doesn't have to come out of pocket in order to get that cost covered. And so they want to do that by checking the box in 3G3, but then also attaching an additional form 
the SPBB form, seller payment to buyer's broker, right? Right. That's also important. And I would mention that sometimes the brokers are willing to waive that fee altogether. If, Absolutely. You know, this is yeah. all optional. You know, yeah. like, all of this can be so, negotiated. Exactly. Just if this is the route everybody wants to go. Exactly. So you, you can just let it go if you'd like to. But as Jana mentioned, if the seller agrees to pay the difference that's indicated in 3G3 that Jana just spoke about, then you would attach form SPBB, seller's payment to buyer's broker. The SPBB will be used to identify the amount of compensation the buyer is asking the seller to pay the buyer's broker. And again, this is never used to try and receive double payment or anything more than the total amount offered in the BRBC. Exactly. And and one thing I just want to reiterate if if you don't if you don't take anything anything else away from what we're talking about today than this one thing is keep in mind that this procedure we just described, this set of circumstances, that's really the only time you're using 3G3 in the SPBB. We're already seeing people think that this is being done to confirm the offer of compensation in the MLS or something like that. Like you have to do it in order for the buyer's agent to get paid in the traditional way. No, if the buyer's agent's getting paid the full amount they expected to get paid in the traditional way, (laughs) you do not have to use any of this. This is just for the circumstance we described where you have the BRBC, the MLS offer of compensation is not enough to cover the amount owed to the buyer's broker, and the buyer wants the seller to cover the difference. And so be prepared that that SPBV form is going to require the buyer to show the seller the BRBC so they can basically do the math for themselves and confirm what those dollar amounts are. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that some agents are using RPA 3G3 to request additional compensation, basically asking for an increase to the compensation offered on the MLS. But that section is not meant for that purpose. As we've indicated, the RPA 3G3 should only be used when what is being offered in the BRBC is more than what is being offered by the listing agent in the MLS or from a seller, and you want to ask the seller to pay the difference. Just to make up that difference. Just to make up the difference. So you must have a representation agreement, namely the BRBC, in order to check the box in 3G3 and use that paragraph in the RPA. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So let's move down to 4F, paragraph 4F. And this paragraph obligates the buyer's broker to disclose to the buyer um, the compensation that the broker expects to obtain from others on any particular property and to also disclose to the buyer the final compensation that the broker actually receives. Yeah. Um, now, we we have a form for this. This is yes. form A, B, C, D. And this is another form that we're getting a lot of calls on mm-hmm. with people asking if this is a required form, if, if you must use this form all the time. And this is the anticipated broker compensation disclosure. And no, you don't use it all the time. Um, it is an optional form. I have heard that some brokerages are requiring this form, um, and I I suppose that a broker could require this form, but it is not um, required by contract or law. So It's only required if you're using the BRBC form. Yeah, Only if you're using the BRBC. Right. Because as we mentioned, that form, the BRBC, requires that you 
um, disclose this information to the buyer. So you must include it in that case, but otherwise you don't have, it's an optional form. And I've heard the same thing. I've heard some brokers say, Hey, this is great. We love transparency. (laughs) You know, we want our clients to know exactly, you know, what we're earning and how and why and all of that. And I think that's fantastic. And so if a broker wants to say in our office, we're going to always use the ABCD form. Absolutely. But just like Dane said, it's not required by law. It's not required by anything other than the BRBC form. Right. And part one of the ABCD really just advises the buyer um, that the seller's payment of compensation directly to a buyer's broker or indirectly through the seller's broker may impact the price the seller will accept. So it's really just advising them about that. And that's really important, something that will help you educate your client in that regard, and that the buyer's broker will disclose on a property by property basis, the compensation promised the broker through the MLS or elsewhere. So, you know, for each property that is shown, buyer's broker would include the promised MLS compensation or other compensation that they are being offered for that property. Yeah. It's almost always going to be the MLS offer of compensation. Right. Generally. Exactly. Unless there's some off market or something. Yeah, there's some but, other arrangement being yeah, negotiated. Yeah. Exactly. But generally, you're going to put the amount that's being offered in the MLS. And part two is where the buyer's agent provides the actual addresses of the properties that are shown to the buyer and his expected compensation for each. And the final section is where the buyer's broker discloses the final compensation received for a property that closes with the buyer. So, you know, as we said, this form is required only with the BRBC, but you can use it in general to inform your buyer Mm -hmm. of the amount of compensation you are promised through the MLS for certain properties mm-hmm. and final yep. compensation received. Exactly. And so, and I will say, you know, the, when we, we talk about being required under the BRBC, um, what the BRBC requires in that paragraph 4F is, is the disclosure, is that the, buy, the buyer's agent discloses the anticipated amount of compensation right. and then eventually the full compensation. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't necessarily have to do it on this form. You can do it in an email if you want, you know, you can do it. um, So potentially via and showing them an MLS printout. Um, You know, my understanding is that many MLSs, if not most or all of them now, have updated their settings per NAR guidelines so that the buyer side compensation is now a publicly viewable field. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, check with your own MLS for their own rules. But the ones I've all spoken to in the past few months, if you do like a, a client client sheet, client handout from the MLS, that likely at this stage is going to have the buyer side anticipated compensation on it. So that's another way of doing it. Um, and then obviously you need to let them know the final compensation received as well when you get down to closing. Um, so you're just going to make sure you get that information to them. Right. But of course, in our opinion, the ABCD is going to be the easiest way to do it. And it lets you keep track. That way you're not, you know, multiple pieces of paper, multiple communications. It's all in exactly. one place. And, and that's always for the best. Yeah. And you get the advisory at the beginning. And that's exactly. really good yeah. and informative. So that's Agreed. very helpful. So Jenna, maybe you could kind of give us a quick overview of this little process here because all of this kind of links together but right kind of piecemealed it yeah we just talked about a lot but let's (laughs) recap okay so how would you use all of these new forms that we talked about today 
Basically, you would start off with the BRBC, the Buyer Representation Broker Compensation, to set your right to commission and compensation with your buyer. Let's just reiterate, this is an optional, optional form. <laughs> yes. If you want to do this, you do not have to. This is not a new legal requirement. Exactly. Uh, this is completely optional for people who want to have this arrangement in place. Yeah, cannot clarify that enough. So if you are opting in to this, you're going to use that BRBC form to create either your exclusive or non-exclusive representation with your client and establish your right to commission. Then throughout your time working with your client, you're going to use the ABCD form to disclose your potential expected and then at the end of the day, final commission. When you're writing an offer, if there is a shortfall between the amount offered in the BRBC form and what's offered on the MLS, when you write the offer, you're going to check box 3G3 in the RPA and ask the seller to cover that difference on the buyer's behalf. Um, and you would use that SPBB form that we talked about to create the seller obligation to pay that extra commission amount or that final covering the commission amount at the end of the day. So exactly. that's how they all come together. They do. Seems really simple when you put it that way. I know. It is, it is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But when you yeah. think about it that way, hopefully it makes more sense to people. Yeah. It comes together pretty quickly, but we gave you all the details earlier. So that yeah. I'm sure was pretty helpful. Mm -hmm. All right. Why don't we talk about the another new form, the BTA or Buyer Transactional Advisory. What can you tell us about that, Jan? Yeah. So the BTA, this is we don't spend much time on this one at all. all right. It's bundled with the buyer the BRBC form. So um as we mentioned, our BRBC representing those of what buyer representation agreements, it also was streamlined a little bit. And so a lot of the language that was in those old buyer rep agreements is now attached to the BRBC in this buyer transactional advisory. And it really just gives buyer information about their agent's responsibilities and obligations as their representative. What does agency mean? What does buyer's agency mean specifically? You know, what are they authorized to do? Writing up a contract, delivering disclosures, conducting a visual inspection. It talks about the scope of an agent's duty. And that's something I really like to see in here because you really want to make sure your client understands that while you do so much for them, Certain things are outside the scope of what you can do for them, such as exactly. square footage, checking public records, or, you know, offering tax advice. You don't want to be exactly. doing that for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so basically, on the flip side, the form also outlines a buyer's obligations during a transaction, such as their duty to investigate and do their own due diligence and their duty to let their agent know what issues are important to them. Mm -hmm. And we do have a form for that, right? A way for a buyer to let their agent know what matters to them when they're looking at a property. So that's form BMI, buyer material issues. That's where a buyer can say, here's what's important to me regarding the property. There could be things like a driveway that'll fit their motor home, right. access to efficient internet because they are a remote worker, or perhaps they want a home that's turnkey tip top shape because they're not going to have the funds to make repairs after closing. And so having this information at the beginning of buyer representation is going to help the buyer's agent, you know, recommend properties 
And then when you find a property, it's going to help them make recommendations for inspections and investigations and things like that as well. Right. Yeah. So that's great. And that form BMI, I think, is really good for that, you know, because you have no idea of the little things. That's- and sometimes buyers completely forget to mention, oh, yeah, I work from home. I absolutely need, you know, mm-hmm. a really good internet system. I need to have phone lines that are, you know, pretty consistent and stuff, especially if they're moving to a rural area. So that can be very helpful. Right. No, I think I think it's one of our most sort of underappreciated forms. Right. It's yeah. so helpful, but yeah. Absolutely. So, well, all right. So let's move on to another new form, and that's the C O B R. Yeah. This is the, the this is the last one. This is the last form we're going to talk about today. Yes. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. All true. right. I know yeah. we're, we're throwing throwing a lot uh, out. Yeah. Here, <laughs> we are throwing a lot your we way. We talk so much about creating buyer representation. And we talked a little bit about the possibility of cancellation, Mm -hmm. but now we're going to talk about how a cancellation might actually take place. Exactly. Yes. And that, and this is the form you'd use the COBR, which is the cancellation of buyer representation. It has two sections and it's a new form, but not exactly an original form. Right. This form replaces an old form we had called the TBA, Termination right. of Buyer Agency. Mm-hmm. Nobody used that form. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> it's gone. We have this now. And this form can be used in in various circumstances. We're talking about it today really in the context of canceling a buyer representation agreement. But it can be used to cancel your representation of a buyer, even if you didn't have a written BRBC. So maybe you had just mm-hmm. been working with a buyer and you gone to sort of formally part ways with them <laughs> to confirm that you're not going to be working with them anymore. You can do it on this form or if for some reason during an escrow, even if if you got to step out, if you're not going to be a buyer representative anymore, even without a BRBC, you're going to want to be putting that in writing and using this as a formal way to terminate your buyer representation. Precisely. So you're going to be using section one anytime you're parting ways with the buyer client, realistically, you know, with or without the BRBC. Right. Okay. So let's get into section one. Section one is where the buyer or the broker gives notice of cancellation to the other. So you'll remember back when we were discussing the BRBC, either party could cancel on notice if your agreement was non-exclusive. And for exclusive agreements, depending on how you completed the BRBC, there's an option for the buyer or broker to give 30 days notice to the other party. And as Jana mentioned, you might also be giving notice when you don't have a buyer representation agreement. In any case, you would use this form if you were going to cancel. And in paragraph one, the parties are identified. And paragraph two, the actual notice of cancellation is provided. And in paragraph three, the effective date is noted. And again, if there's no written agreement or if there's no um, exclusive agreement between the parties, the cancellation is immediate. And if there is an exclusive relationship, then the cancellation is effective 30 days following the notice. And also in this section, it does allow for you to have a mutual cancellation where mm-hmm. both parties must agree upon the date of the cancellation and sign the COBR for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. And that takes us to the second section. Right. The second section is going to be required specifically when you are terminating a BRBC, a buyer representation and, and broker compensation contract to deal with the compensation issues that we've discussed. And this section should look very familiar to anyone who 
you know, an apologies if you're if if you are familiar with it, but our cancellation of listing agreement. So if you've ever been through a cancellation of listing, this form works out very similarly. Mm-hmm. And these since, you know, you're dealing with the the contract being canceled, you gotta talk about what's gonna be happening with the you know, the compensation moving forward. Right. And so it gives you various options for what the how that compensation could break down. In paragraphs 3A through F, basically it refers you back to the BRBC form and says, you know, hey, for any property where there's broker involvement, and we've talked a lot about what that means, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's going to be compensation owed maybe for the duration of what would have been the exclusive period if you're canceling an exclusive agreement early or you know, for that protection period, you can identify the properties on this form itself or on the other form we already discussed. There's other circumstances in which you could agree to the cancellation as well. Maybe you don't want to have an ongoing sort of obligation or relationship with this client. Maybe you just want to be reimbursed for expenses you've incurred, right? Um, And you can ask for that. Maybe you can just say, look, if you do end up buying, I would just like a referral fee from your eventual agent. Um, mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you want to go, I understand. I don't. I'm not going to ask for the full commission I would have been owed. But if you do go and buy from somebody else after I've been working with you for months on end, I would like a referral fee. Right. Um, you know, or there's other options. I'm going to be receiving compensation directly from the seller. That's probably more common if there had been a dual agency involved, or the buyer's agent can agree to walk away for no compensation at all and say, we're just parting ways. We don't owe each other anything. We're done here. Um, And and the parties can agree on on which of those situations they want to apply to their breakup, for lack of a better word. Right. Exactly. So, and it's kind of convenient that you can use this form to include the names of all of those Right. You can properties. put them right on there. Yeah, so right there. You don't have to the about. addresses of all the properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that streamlines this process. Absolutely. Okay. Well, all right. that's all that we are going to discuss for today, but we'll be back with more new forms. Yeah, we'll a, be back soon. Yeah. With more new forms. There were, there's a lot of, if you've been through our new forms or yeah. saw our new forms webinars, you know there's quite a lot to cover. Hours and hours we can and maybe will spend discussing these. But that's where we're going to leave you for today. So this wraps up another episode of the Legal Matters Podcast. Thanks as always to all of you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed all of our episodes so far. If you have enjoyed them, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings can help other folks find the show. You can also reach out to us here at the podcast directly by emailing us at legalpodcast at car.org. Finally, don't forget about all of the ways CAR Member Legal can help you stay in business and stay out of trouble. Of course, CAR members can call the legal hotline with any questions or issues at 213-739-8282, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 2, for transactional questions. Our other informational and educational materials can be found at car.org under the risk management section. Head over there to check out our Q&As, quick guides, webinars, and more. Yeah, and be sure and join us next time when we'll discuss the revisions to the RPA and some other brand new forms. Talk to you next time. See you later.